Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm on the phone with my buddy Ashvin. Oh, yeah, and I'm Brian. And we've got a special guest joining us, our good friend Joseph. Uh, Joseph is a close friend of ours back from our Chicago days. He is also the spouse of a previous guest, Amy May from Amy May Pop Art, who joined us for the Night of the Demons episode. How's it going, Joseph? Good. How are you? I just took a shower, so I'm not quite dressed and not quite nude, and I'm happy to be meeting you guys today. (laughs) There's a a great happy medium there. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you guys about this movie. I've seen this movie four times in two different countries, and... I really, really love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Joseph, didn't you like reach out to us at the end of last year and or, like you guys have to watch this and have me on the podcast for it? Yeah, I think yeah, I saw it in the theater, um, which was incredible. We, we didn't really know what it was. You know, we love Nicolas Cage and we expect all his work to be really bad. Um, <laughs> so we got we got pretty high uh, and went to see it, and we were just blown away. It was just so. Um, visceral and and crazy um and i was just like what the fuck is this you know um so it was super into it and i think yeah i I think i texted you guys like immediately and was like you guys have to do this movie (laughs) yeah this has been a long time coming by the way i should probably tell the listeners uh we're talking about mandy from 2018 directed by panos cosmatos written by panos and aaron stewart on Starring Nick Cage, Andrea Riseborough, Linus Roach, and Ned Dennehy. And it's essentially about a dude who goes on a killing rampage after uh, a crazy cult murders his spouse. Gosh, I guess spoiler alert right up front. It's too late already. (laughs) Mandy dies. But if you're a regular listener, hopefully you know that we spoil everything. Well, you really, really spoiled that right away. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of the setup for the movie, but it also, it takes a while before it happens. I know. Sorry, (laughs) sorry, everybody. Uh, Brian, since you just recently saw it for the first time, did you know Mandy was going to die in the beginning? Or like, well, I I mean, not the beginning, but... As much as I try to not know things about movies, I did know that it was all, I assumed it was all revenge for Mandy. Uh, See, see, that's awesome. That's interesting, because I went in completely blind, and I knew nothing um, I'd seen a very strange trailer for it that was just like, okay, yes, I'm in. Um, but I didn't know any plot elements. So I'm just curious, how did you know that she uh, died? Did you read about it? I think just the cover gave me the idea, or I guess I don't even know if you can call it a cover anymore these days, but the art on, like, on demand on my mm-hmm. Apple TV, it just shows... Nicolas Cage and like this bloody rampage type photo and Mandy like kind of as a a little bit of like a ghostly romantic image in the background and it just kind of made me assume. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, I guess. Cool. <laughs> how how long was this one in theaters for? I feel like I didn't hear about it until it was like streaming on um, some kind of online service. But wait, did it have a long theatrical run? I, I'm not sure how long it was in theaters, and really we were only able to see it in. Um, we went to the, the Carolina Theater here in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was like a special screening of it. I don't think it got a wide release, um, but I did only see it in theaters at one time, so I'm not sure. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it only got a limited cinematic release. Uh, it came out September 13th, and I read it. It was like at a maximum of 250 theaters. Mm-hmm. And then it was released on video on demand on the very next day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is a strange way to release a movie to me, but but that's yeah. happening more and more these days. Yeah, it's funny because I so I've I've seen it four times, and each time I've seen it, I've seen it on a smaller screen. So the first time I saw it was in the theater, and then I was visiting my friend in Norway, and we watched it on his projector, and then I watched it on a normal TV, and then last night I watched it on an iPad. So it's just got like smaller <laughs> and smaller as I've watched it, and it holds up on every screen size. I'll say. Wow, nice. Next Were one's you an on, iPhone. <laughs> Were you on the same <laughs> amount of drugs for all four of them? <laughs> smaller and smaller amount of drugs. Yeah. Um, well, I was on different drugs every time. So the first time okay. I was high, the second time I was very drunk and had just been on like a long hike um, up a mountain in Norway. And then the third time I was very drunk with my friend Andrew and we watched it at his place. And last night was the first time I saw it sober. And, and it held up in each round? Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes, it That's did. Impressive. It's like a fine wine. The more you watch it, <laughs> it only gets better. <laughs> it's a very psychedelic movie, so being intoxicated in some way, shape, or form probably isn't a bad idea to watch this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it does a lot with colors and sound, and it's just it, it's a it's a very good experience if you're kind of unhinged a little. Yeah. Speaking of drugs, um, the guy that scored this, Johan or Johan Johansson, it sounds like he died shortly after he composed this score. Really, from, I didn't from know an ac- that. accidental uh, cocaine with medication. Yeah, overdose <coughs> of cocaine combined with medication at the age of forty-eight. Yeah, Damn. that's young. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. I really like the music in this. Although some of the music was by King Crimson. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, the score was incredible. I thought that was one of the highlights of the movie for me. Yeah, it really is kind of an essential part of the storytelling. You know, it just, like, really encompasses each mood the same way, like, the visuals and the lighting does. Um, And it kind of becomes this, like, heavy metal thing. (laughs) And there's a lot of, like, heavy metal visuals in it, which I I really like a lot. Um, I've I've never been Mm -hmm. a huge metal fan myself, but I've always liked the art, you know, like, the the art that comes along with metal. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of like really dives into that after that, it takes that turn, you know, when he's on the revenge kick, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, I'm the same, Joseph. I'm like, I totally understand people who are into metal and I'm like into things that are kind of metal, but I'm not necessarily into metal. Yeah, I, I, I can really appreciate it, like the technique of it and, you know, the, the precision but right. I just and don't personally find it, yeah, I just don't find it personally pleasant to listen to. And I, I know that's like a terrible, like almost borderline racist thing to say. But <laughs> like I do, I, I do appreciate it. I think it's an art. It's just not really my thing. But I, I do like this as like a medium. It's kind of like a vessel for it and it's done in a different way. Um, it kind of conveys all the themes from metal, but in a way that's less abrasive and more accessible to me yeah. personally. Sure, yeah. Totally get that. Yeah, it kind of takes like the best of metal and uh, puts it into something that's a little more stimulating than your average metal band. Yeah. Um, and and I, I thought Johan, uh, this guy, like he, he did a lot of like synth stuff too. I like I, I feel like part of the movie was like heavy metal, and then like a lot of it was also like atmospheric synth music. Did mm-hmm. you guys feel that at all? Or 
is that also considered like metal? Uh, no, no, it starts very synthy, um, and I think that is intentional. Like it, it's very soft. Like that whole first chapter uh, that's called Shadow Mountains, um, 1983 AD, I think is the name of that chapter, and it's very like soft and safe, and the lighting also reflects that. It's just like soft lighting, and they're they're talking and being vulnerable with each other, and it it really establishes them as like this really like amazing relationship, very healthy, safe space. And the music kind of reflects that, and so does the lighting. And it's, it's very beautiful. Like, um, you, you really, I think in a lot of like revenge flicks, you kind of don't buy why he, the, the person goes on revenge. But I think in this movie, like, you really get it. Like, she was this like safe home for him. And then that's just completely taken away by these like crazy religious fanatics. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it starts very soft and synthy, and then there's the second act when it comes to um, the children of the new dawn. Um, they the, the music kind of changes to this more like dread based kind of um, type of vibe, and then the third act, which is called Mandy, is, is all about the like revenge kind of like metal kind of music. Oh yeah, um, and not and not like shredding metal, you know, but like that very like distorted, abrasive kind of atmosphere oh, which i think yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's kind of like he was scoring two different movies not an easy task yeah so <laughs> i think we should also disclose what we're drinking so i'm drinking bourbon um brian you're drinking brandy is that right yeah it's become a podcast drink of choice and have you mentioned that before i, I don't feel like i've heard that on the podcast no, you know, actually, in, when we were kind of, like, doing test episodes, we had this thing where we would say what we were drinking each episode, but then we ditched it just because we thought, who the hell cares? <laughs> yeah, but it was cool. We were kind of tying it to the episode, right? Like, we were drinking something that had something to do with that movie. Did we, did we try that for a minute? Or was that... Yeah, I think I think we did try that a little bit on uh, unaired test episodes. Yeah. Some oh, other epi- some other podcasts do that uh, to more effect than we were doing it back when we were trying it. Man, you guys are uh, fancy. Joseph- oh, go ahead. oh, go ahead, Ash. You didn't say what you were drinking. Oh, hot water. That's that's how I say you guys are fancy. <laughs> is that a, a very this is why we ended to that. say tea? <laughs> is is that a fake tea? <laughs> uh, is, is that are you drinking tea or are you, are you legitimately no. drinking hot water? No, every day I just drink cups of hot water. Uh, I don't know. I just I'm not a I'm over cold water and room temperature. I'm I'm all the way up to hot water now. Dang. Yeah. Hmm. Just is that, it all. Uh, is that good? Do you enjoy that? I enjoy it. Yeah. Like I don't get the same pleasure from room temperature or ice water. Um. Yeah. So it become like a weird addiction. <laughs> this adds up it. with the fact that you wear a sweater every day, no matter what season it is. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah. A sweater and a cup of hot water. Cold. Yeah, it's very fashionable. That's <laughs> equal. Joseph, do you yeah. and Amy have a favorite Nick Cage movie? Ooh, oh man, I I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, it changes. Um, we recently saw Kiss of the Vampire. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh my God! You. <laughs> well, neither had we, and apparently this was a big cult classic. Um, that is kind. You have, it's kind of indescribable. Um, he's kind of like, I, I, I almost don't even want to spoil it, but you, you should probably do it on this podcast. I think it could qualify as a horror movie. Um, but he's just at like Nick Cage dialed up to 11 the whole movie. Right. Um, 
and it's he's young and he's got like the energy for it and boy um i think currently that might be my favorite just for the novelty of it um because he's so young and he's doing this weird accent the whole movie that just doesn't work at all and it's wonderful <laughs> hey when you say nicholas cage is one of your guys favorite actors um do you mean like ironically or do you mean like actually um, not ironically, more just like we appreciate schlock, you know, like it's, yeah. it, it's like, I mean, I, I don't know that I'd say he's one of my favorite actors, but I definitely enjoy most of his performances. Yeah. I Even think his name is very... ironic enjoyment and sincere enjoy- enjoyment has blended into one thing. Yeah. That's true, we yeah. really can't be, we really can't be trusted. In terms of our taste <laughs> but i mean we know what we like and we just kind of you know yeah soup around in it nice. i i agree i mean I, I feel like he's uh like watching him uh, in, in like a lot of his later movies i feel like uh it's showing him at like 11 pretty much and he's awesome when he's like at that intensity but i feel like he doesn't have like a between like one and two and 11 like i feel like all the numbers in between are missing um am i wrong on that one <laughs> No, I, I think you're you're dead on. Um, and yeah. as he's gotten older, it's become harder for him to maintain that 11. So there are some se- severe peaks in his performances. Yeah. Um, but that that almost just highlights like the good parts. I mean, <laughs> I, like there's a scene in this movie where he just like he, he's been stabbed and he's in his underwear and he just watched a Cheddar Goblin commercial. And he, like, goes into the bathroom and pulls out a bottle of, of booze and just starts, like, chugging it and screaming and crying. And it's just, like, incredible. And you, you could tell if you watch the camera work uh, on the shot, like, the camera is kind of, like, scared of him. Like, it, it's zooming in, and then he starts being wild, and it, like, backs up a little bit, and then it, like, <laughs> zooms in again. Because it's, like, he's so unpredictable. He's just, like, at an 11, you know? It's so yeah. <laughs> fucking good. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a great scene. But then there's like there's some laughably bad parts too. Like he tells a joke, like uh, he goes like knock knock, um, and, she, and Mandy's like who's there? And he goes Eric Estrada. Eric Estrada who? Eric Estrada from Chips. Like it's just like <laughs> yeah. this is like the worst joke. That was like the opening line of the movie, pretty much. <laughs> I think yeah, yeah that was like his first line. Yeah, that was random. He started uh, did, at zero. Did you guys see that he wasn't, like, the first... Bit, like, he was uh, turned down for this role originally, or he wasn't, like, the first pick? I Well, I think they approached him to be um, Jeremiah Sand, the cult leader, and he said no. He's just like, no, I don't want to do it, um, which that could have been a fascinating movie, too. Yeah. Yeah, the dude that ended up playing Jeremiah Sand, Linus Roche, was... He very much had, like, the overacting, chewing-the-scenery type thing that Nicolas Cage does so well down pat. Yeah, yeah. It was really <laughs> cool to see them play off each other. Yeah, yep. Um, have you guys ever seen a Nick Cage movie called Dog Eat Dog with Willem Dafoe? No. no. From like two years ago? Oh, it's no. a new one? <laughs> yeah, I'd never really heard of it. Uh, but it was filmed entirely in Cleveland. Oh, interesting. <laughs> There's the Northeast There's Ohio Doggy connection. Dog. Just trying to sneak... <laughs> Sneak yeah. in a, an Ohio connection. Nice shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nick Cage, he, uh, I, I, the theory is he's in a lot of stuff because he's in, like, crippling debt, so he'll just take, like, any script that comes to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even I don't know, know if it's a theory. It seems like it's 
Just the truth. <laughs> what did he spend all his money on? Lives uh, fast like and real hard. estate, just like extravagant purchases, cars. He he recently got married and then had it annulled four days later. Like his he's fourth just a, marriage. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think right before this movie, he got uh, divorced to like his fourteen-year wife, right? Like, I don't know the like, timeline. Oh. Was it that long? Yeah, the four-day marriage happened. Mm-hmm. Was the most recent thing to happen. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was very recent. Like I just saw it in my Facebook wow. feed like last week. Yeah, yeah. He's apparently really generous, though. He's given a lot of money to charity. Yeah, that's that's good. So he can't be that broke. Um, uh, I think you just like to spend money. <laughs> just dropping it all over the place. Yeah. Okay, dudes, well, you ready to move on and start talking about the plot and get into even more spoilers than what I've already spoiled? <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Let's do it. Cool. Well, first, I, I think I hear someone knocking at the door, so I'm going to go check that out, and I'll be right back. Right. <laughs> there it is again. Be right back. Okay, dudes, I, I'm I'm back. <laughs> oh, welcome back. Who was at the door? Uh, it was Eric. Eric who? Eric Smith. Eric Estrada. <laughs> <laughs> From Chips. So bad. <laughs> yeah, every episode, definitely... I'm every episode, I'm like, let's just stop doing that dumb fake break. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good one. That that got a legitimate chuckle out of me. I've, yeah. it's, I've become strangely attached to it. <laughs> that was a good one. The delivery, the delivery of that joke was better than Nick Cage gave it in the film. <laughs> if he was at zero, I was at one. <laughs> Exponentially better. <laughs> okay, dudes. Well, since there's three of us, and this is a bit of a special episode. I think maybe I'll forgo the entire plot walkthrough and just give like a quick one to two minute description and then we can all dig in together a little bit more. But, I, and I think Joseph has kind of already described it when um, describing those three acts, like the film is divided into these chapters with title cards. So the first act of the movie is basically just Nick Cage and Andrea Riseborough, Mandy, and they live in this kind of isolated cottage in the woods, and it just kind of paints their life together as really calm and peaceful, and there are a lot of tender moments between them, and you get a lot of investment in their relationship. Um, and it's like probably 45 minutes to an hour before things really change, and you flip into the second act. Um yeah. And, uh, but Brian, just a question, uh, so it's that first act, uh, it, it is mostly them, but when you say, like, we get bought into their relationship, I mean, did you guys feel that I, like, the music and the visuals are all really cool, but the dialogue, I, I just felt like it was kind of cheesy, but I'm curious, like, how you feel like, uh, you know, you kind of connected with the characters or, like, got to where they are. Well, it's slow. I mean, it makes you have to really sit down and listen to it, and I think a few things are established right away, so, um... Nick Cage is a, he's like a lumberjack, right? Like the first thing you see him do is cutting down trees with a chainsaw. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he's kind of this kind of simple person, um, but also kind of an instrument at the same time. And then Andy, Mandy is established as an artist. Like what she does with all of her free time is draw and read. Um, and I, I think what I like about them is just how well they fit together. You know, um, they just have a natural chemistry. Um, Mandy is, is is constantly making herself vulnerable to him. She tells that story about the starlings, like when her dad um, was trying to teach all the kids to kill these baby birds. And it's just kind of a devastating moment. And you, you watch Nick Cage listen to, to it and help her process it. And and that's this is a very healthy relationship, you know, like they have these past traumas, but you see how they fit together and how they work. Uh, and, and I think the movie spends a lot of time on that, uh, which is, it's beautiful. Um, and I think the, the more times you see it, I've seen it four times now. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a very comfortable part. Like, I really enjoy that part of the movie because it, it, it is very safe. And um, I don't know, I, I definitely buy into it. I think, you know, just the way they do pillow talk and they, they say what their favorite planets are and, and stuff like that. And it's just, it feels very real. Like when, when you're that deeply in love with someone, that is kind of how it is. You know, it's just like, you want to know everything about each other, um, even down to like the little details and even like the painful details. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely bought into it, but I'm interested to hear your guys' take. Yeah, and I feel like they really between the music and the visuals and like you said they show that he's a lumberjack and um she's an artist i think she's moving she's working at like a little convenience store it just really paints the picture of like this idyllic simple life like all they want to do is live in this quiet house and and spend time together um so it's it, it kind of like i don't know to me that really appealed to me because it's like oh man it's just the two of them in this little cottage and yeah, it's slow, and they're spending quality time together, so I was invested by that, but or that yeah. caused me to be invested, but what, Ashwin, it sounds like you, you thought that was a little too slow. I mean, I, I get what you guys are saying. Like, it does, the beginning does kind of coddle you a bit and puts you in the safe spot, and, and I think a lot of that is the music and the visuals and, and just the slow pace, but you literally like have two scenes that are back-to-back pillow talk about literally like nothing. Like One is about planets, one is about like some story like out of nowhere about like an emotional thing that happened in her childhood. And, it, you know, I, I kind of read the script on its own and it, just reading it like out of context of all, everything that's, you know, that you're seeing visually and like hearing, um, it just, it seems kind of thin and you don't hear a lot from Nicolas Cage, he's just kind of like, you know, responding in kind of like a dull way, which, you know, is his acting at that, you know, because he's not blown up yet. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just feel like a lot of like the, the, the emotion that you guys are expressing is driven more from, you know, all the other effects versus the actual dialogue and any... Um, uh, any, any like direct conversation, but I, yeah, I don't know. That's that was my take from it. Fair, but I feel like sometimes that's what relationships are—is just spending time together. Yeah, <laughs> spending time together. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I, yeah, like it can be mundane. I guess. I mean, Nicholas Cage just seemed kind of like a boring character in the beginning. Like, yeah, his, his, uh, Mandy was super cool. She's like this artist. She's drawing space and all, all this cool stuff, and she has this interesting story. What was Nicolas Cage bringing to the game early on? He's just like this woodcutter who's got, like, zero personality except, like, a terrible sense of humor. I kind of, like, got the impression that, like, he was just, like, kind of her rock and, like, just a steady, simple dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, kind of a, a yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. And I guess that sets him up for later on when, when you get to his explosion. Yeah. <laughs> trust, trust, contrast. 
<laughs> so anyway, we transition into the uh, second act. You want to tell me the title of that second act again, Joseph? The Children of the New Dawn is the name of the cult. Right. So this cult is like driving through town and the cult leader sees Mandy walking down the street and he just like can't get her out of his mind. So they find her and they basically just, it's like a home invasion situation at that point. They strip them each out of bed, pull them each out of bed, and they try to, they tie Nick Cage up, and basically the cult leader, like, wants to have sex with Mandy, and he's kind of, they paint him as, like, a Charles Manson type, like, a failed musician. He, like, plays one of his records for her. And it's such a bad song. (laughs) I love this scene, because he's, like, playing this song, just thinking it's gonna blow her mind. And he's in this robe, and he opens it up, and she's—he's just like naked under the robe, and like trying to seduce her. And then she just asks—I think she's like, "You made this song, and it's about you," because he's like singing his own name in the song. Yeah. And then she just starts like laughing at him while he's standing there, like with his dick out, playing his own song. And he starts like furiously masturbating as if he can like somehow <laughs> dig himself out of this embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be my favorite scene of the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. it's brilliant. It 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 really I mean a lot of themes come to a head at that moment because just religion in general is kind of a, a crazy like outdated concept, right? And like the people who really buy into it and think they're prophets and think they talk to God and all that are just like completely ridiculous, but they don't realize it. So when Mandy starts laughing at him, he just can't even handle it. Like he's experiencing like this cognitive dissonance and he just like, he starts telling everyone to like, don't look at me, don't look at me. And just like, yeah. shut up, yeah. shut up. You know, he's like yelling. He says, shut up like 15 times. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. And, and then, you know, moments ago he was saying how they're like destined to be together and all that. And then he immediately is calling her like a whore and you know, essentially burns her at the stake for laughing at him. Like it's, I mean, and that's kind of like what religion is, you know, it's like these people who want to be taken seriously and have this worldview. And then if anything conflicts with it or tries to disprove it in some way, like they lash out and destroy it, you know, which is like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's so bizarre. And, um, there's also a really like cool, um, like dissonance between Mandy's character and his, like he's very much about, um, you know, in the moment pleasure, you know, seeking pleasure and everything belongs to me and that sort of stuff. And Mandy, everything she talks about is long-term, you know, even when she's talking about the planets, her favorite planet is Jupiter. And what she likes about Jupiter is that it has a hurricane on it. That's been happening for a thousand years and the eye of the hurricane could swallow earth. And then when Nick Cage says his favorite planet is Saturn, she says, oh, Saturn's cool. Um, you know, it was the first planet people discovered. And um, that's why there's a lot of like lore and, and myth behind it. And a lot of, um, you know, mystical elements are applied to that planet. So her view is very like long-term and eternal, which is what religion is supposed to be. But then you, you meet the religious characters and they're all like taking acid and like just seeking pleasure and like, the first time you see Jeremiah, he's like obviously coming down from some like trip or something where he's just like, he can't even get out of bed or like sit up all the way and stuff. And, and so they kind of like clash, you know? And, yeah. uh, and it, it's really, there, there's some like really cool, like, um, 
like foreshadowing and stuff like when in that scene you were describing brian where uh jeremiah is like he, he bring he drugs her in, with this weird like bug and acid in her eye and then brings her into this room and it's just like what do you see and she kind of takes a moment and she says uh which i thought was like really poignant in the moment she says like i see the reaper fast approaching like she knows what's going to happen like there's no way out of this for her you know right. and um i think that's also foreshadowing because the the crossbow that nick cage gets later he calls the reaper he's like i'm here for the reaper so like oh, yeah. in a way it's also like foreshadowing the destruction of the cult which is like really cool oh nice yeah i didn't even catch that yeah i missed that too it's a good one yeah you don't catch it till the fourth watch <laughs> you, oh, you shit. gotta be on a pretty small screen to catch that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I uh, love the backstory. The backstory of this villain. I mean, it's just so interesting. Like, it's got so nuanced and so many dimensions to it. But uh, yeah, Joseph, you're right. I mean, it's like the contrast of like his immaturity. It's like her being like this more like yeah mature character, which is like so much more adult than like this guy who's basically a baby. Uh, right. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. And they're both artists, but he's, like, in it for kind of the, uh, like, stardom. It's clear that he's, like, very into himself, and she's just, mm-hmm. she just enjoys the purity of creating art. Yeah. Um, so his, 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 did I understand it right, that his whole, the whole reason he started this cult is because he wanted to be a musician, and he didn't, like, the, he never got fame, <laughs> and so he started a cult. Is that, was that your guys' takeaway? Um, I mean, he kind of rambles on about it. Uh, it I, I, I'm not sure. It's a little vague what he says. I mean, he's saying he, he approached the glittery ones and they wouldn't accept him. So I don't know if that means like rock and roll stars or if it means, um, mm-hmm. you know, priests or I, I think it's a little intentionally vague. But Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's basically just like kind of an unhinged person who like once he doesn't get the acceptance he's been dreaming of, just it spins him out of control. He was already unhinged and now he's off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as, uh, as Joseph said, they essentially burn her. They, I think they like hang her from a tree and burn her in front of Nick Cage's character and they leave him for dead. And he eventually escapes and gets his crossbow and goes on this revenge mission. And I think maybe we'll talk more about this too, but there also seem to be some demons who the cult has enlisted to help them with um, the killing Mandy and, and capturing uh, Nick Cage and Mandy's character. So that and it got pretty weird at that point. Um, <laughs> they look like they look like Power Ranger characters, you know? They're like, yeah, <laughs> they're like Power Rangers meet Cenobites from Hellraiser. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Like some of them have like knives coming out of them or like spikes. And they try to... Yeah, one guy's like a a spiky guy, like he has spikes all over his body. One guy kind of is like a lizard, like he's really slimy and wet for some reason. Um, And then one guy, I don't know if you guys caught this, but he has like a a machete cock. Did you you notice this? Is that what that (laughs) was? Yeah, Yeah. so there's a scene where that guy's watching porn and doing cocaine, and then you see him get a boner, but it's just this, like, machete that erects itself from between his legs. And and that's what he, like, stabs Nicolas Cage with, like, when he falls on him? That scene is a little weird. That that actually is one of the scenes that doesn't work for me, because it... 
the first time I saw it, I thought, yes, I thought he got stabbed with it. But I think from watching it more times, it just stabbed into the floor. Oh. Um, but it, it's kind of edited poorly, so, like, it, it's unclear. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's kind of a dark scene. Uh, like, the lighting he, is kind he, of dark. He is stabbed by Jeremiah at one point, like kind of like in the ribs um, mm-hmm. when he's tied up. But I think that's the only like real injury he sustains. Yep. Yeah. Because Jeremiah is on some sort of rant about Jesus. So I think he's kind of giving Nick Cage a similar wound. They try to explain these demons uh, by saying they're like people who took like a bad dose of LSD or something. Is that? Yeah. Do you guys understand that? So. Yeah, the, the guy in the trailer gives a little bit of exposition about them. Um, and he, he mentions that there were already, like, some bad dudes, but then the chemist, who's that guy who um, makes the acid and has, like, the tiger in the cage or whatever that was. Right. Um, he mentions that the chemist didn't like them, so he gave them a bad batch, and then they've never been the same ever since. Um, so, <laughs> they became so they're mutants. kind of like these... Yeah, there's like the, yeah. these like monster bikers and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're probably like super normal guys before I had like day jobs, probably accountants or something, and then they took this bad batch. Making <laughs> these demon bikers. And yeah, yeah, and they so... keep. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. They, they they keep drinking it. Like when um, <laughs> when that guy kind of summons them with that horn, which is called the horn of Abraxas. Um, he just like blows the horn and then they, they show up like five minutes later. Um, he trades them like a jar of that weird, like acid stuff for them to go kidnap Mandy. Um, and he just like drinks it and then just goes like more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then at one point in the movie, Nick Cage dips his finger into that jar and tastes it. And it just like makes him completely insane like there's a visual of like yeah. his face melting um and then he doesn't talk very much after that like he just goes on the killing spree um mm. without saying a word to anyone he like shoves the axe down that guy's throat and uh, let's mention that part he forges an axe in this right, movie he, like blacksmiths <laughs> his own battle axe <laughs> so fucking awesome and then um the, when he does talk again it's to jeremiah in that weird like throbbing room um and he has kind of like one of the demon voices at that point. And he doesn't have much dialogue, but he says something like, I'm your God now, or something like that. And then he like squishes his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I realized that, yeah. And that like basically to, to brush over it with a quick stroke, like the second, or I guess third act of the movie is him just like one by one killing off all these demon people and then finding the members, the human members of the cult and killing them one by one until he finally kills Jeremiah at the end, yeah, with the head crush. Well, well he lets one go. He lets that w- that young woman go. Right. Which I wanted, I wanted to get your guys' take on. Like, what... Like, she was kind of complicit in Mandy's death, I thought, too. So I thought it was an interesting choice and shows some, like, strange compassion on his side. But what do you guys think of that? Because he just kind of, like, looks at her after, like, stabbing that guy through the mouth and then walks away. And she just kind of, like, stands there and does nothing. I think he was like, there was a scene, I think it's right before Jeremiah stabs Nick Cage when he's tied up, where he's like dissing Nick Cage's relationship with Mandy and saying like, you don't know what love is, like this is love. And he Mm. puts a single bullet in a revolver and gives it to that woman to play Russian roulette. 
to like prove her love to him and I think he just felt so sorry for her that she was like completely brainwashed if she's willing to sit there and play mm. Russian roulette to prove that she loves this dude yeah I mean she was younger too maybe uh you know yeah. he, he gave her a pass on that that like yeah just her being taken advantage of by this cult I don't know yeah what's what's your take Joseph um I'm not sure I kind of had mixed feelings about it because like I wanted him to kill all of them. I mean, you know, because it's just like he's on a revenge kick at this point. But I thought it was an interesting choice and, and shows some compassion that he's not just a, a mindless killer. He also doesn't kill the chemist either. Um, he doesn't say a word to the chemist. He just walks in. The chemist starts, like, spouting this crazy dialogue, releases a tiger, and then says, like, go north. You know? So it's just, yeah. like, interesting. Um, and I thought maybe the reason he didn't kill the chemist is because... Um, he found out that the chemist had given those demon people like a bad batch and maybe, well, I don't know. I mean, it seems like he very easily could have killed him, but just kind of chose not to. So it's not like a blind revenge either. Like it still is calculated and he still kind of dulls it out and to the people who think deserves it, I guess. Um, but I, I, I like that, that there's, he doesn't just blindly kill, you know, like he, there's some thought behind his rampage. I also feel like the logic is a little bit loose. Like, I don't know if everything has a solid reason. Yeah. Why might a person yeah. have a machete boner? <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you explain that? It's the rationale for it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I didn't look too much into, like, the people who, like, oh, I mean, that, that's a really good point. Um, I, I just thought the chemist wasn't, like, directly involved. I mean, he was, like, an indirect character. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I would say that Nicolas Cage might not have killed that other woman, the mother, uh, I forget what her name is, but the other woman in the cult, but she kind of like but, gave him like a, a speech like, oh, I like, I'm the best lover and I can, and he like, I don't know, she was like trying to seduce him or something and that's why he killed her, but I don't know. Yeah, he cut her head off and then threw it at Jeremiah and he like freaks out for a second. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she was, like, smiling as Mandy burned, so I don't know if he was me- mentally making notes of everybody's facial expression as <laughs> that was happening. <laughs> smile or no smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, guys, I feel like we should move on to the review, and I kind of want to hear Ashvin's first, like, your general oh, no. thoughts about the movie Ashvin, because I feel like they might conflict with Joseph's. <laughs> I think they'll definitely conflict the Josephs. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I agree with the, the the whole setup here and, and everything. Like you guys have kind of praised, like music is amazing in this. Uh, visuals are incredible. Like the, this director, I think, has a really unique style, and a lot of the visuals that he showed like are super trippy. And I'm sure being on drugs it just helps more. But uh, even even without it, you know, I mean, it's just it's so cool to watch. And, and not being into heavy metal, it's cool. But to me, like, the storyline just seemed really basic, and the dialogue seemed pretty thin. Um, it was, like, a lot of, like, long, rambling speeches, and I, I didn't feel like Nicolas Cage's character had a lot of depth to him other than being this uh, stock guy who's, like, with this girl who gets killed and suddenly becomes, like, a maniac. I mean, there wasn't much more to him other than that. So if in the context of revenge films, I didn't feel too bought in to him or, like, what he was doing. But it was just kind of like fun to watch and like uh, you know really rewarding from a artistic perspective. But I feel like the storyline was on its own was kind of thin. Um, so that, that, that's my only uh, complaint against it. it oh, and mm-hmm. and I feel like mm-hmm. this could have just been a music video. Like you could have cut the dialogue out and had the same movie pretty much. 
but um, maybe, maybe not. What, what, what do you guys think? Um, Joseph, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I disagree. I, I think if you uh, really look into the dialogue and see how it kind of threads through the rest of the movie, it, it all kind of has meaning and makes sense. Um, one of the things uh, Jeremiah says to to Red, who is Nick Cage's character, um, when he's tied up, is something along the lines of like, "You will, you will witness the cleansing power of fire, and it cannot be reasoned with." And then he burns Mandy, thinking it's this like religious thing. And then at the end of the movie, um, Red burns down their whole church, and and it kind of you, you know that could be seen as kind of a cheesy line that he said, but it, it also like comes back in the end, and kind of proves his point in a way by like burning them. The whole religion is burned away mercilessly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. I, I really like the dialogue. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, some of it is slow and, uh, and kind of meanders a little bit, especially some of the dialogue um, or some of the like speeches that people give, but I think it's all about the performances and the mood and the lighting. Yeah. And to me, it just is like, it's pretty brilliant because it, it it's a it's a bad movie, right? I mean, we can all agree. Like, it's it, it it's a revenge movie with like heavy metal elements, but it kind of transcends that in a way. Um, and and the way it does that is through the themes and the music, um, mm-hmm. and Nick Cage's performance <laughs> for some of it. Um, so I'm a big fan uh, of the movie, obviously. Um, but I don't disagree with anything you said either. It just is kind of like an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of my favorite movies I've seen in the last few years, to be completely honest. I think a lot of people feel that way. I mean, it's got a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it seems to already have a cult following. And I think I've heard or read stories where they had theater viewings and people had already seen it like a bunch of times on demand because it was in on VOD and theaters at the same time. So it was almost like like a Rocky Horror Picture Show or something where people know what's coming and they're like laughing before it even happens. So yeah. this movie yeah. definitely has a huge following. Um, not huge, but it, it's got a cult following and it made a ton of top 10 lists last year. Mm-hmm. Which was a surprise to me. I can't believe it has like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I know why I like it, but I don't really understand why other people do. To be I was honest. surprised by that too. The user rating is 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's just it's just like a cult. I mean, people like hear these things and they buy into it and believe it, right? It's, it's not like what the movie is about. <laughs> I, I think the audience has become kind of cultivated But let, let me ask you this. So I really enjoy this movie, aside from like the, the parts I think are beautiful and the, the thematically, I think, is really strong. But um, do you guys appreciate the humor in this? Because I feel like there's a lot of parts that I like laughed out loud at the first few times I was watching it. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure most of it's intentional. I mean, some of it's just like over-the-top ridiculous. But um, like there's this one character um, who's played by someone named uh, Alexis Julemont, and he plays a character called Brother Hanker. And he's the guy who has, like, a mullet. His mouth is open all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he's just, like... And I was, like, dying laughing every scene he was in. Like, he was perfect. Like, I was watching the, I was watching this with my friend Jeffrey in Norway, and afterwards we were talking about that character, and, and he said something that just always stuck with me. He's like, that character doesn't have one wasted moment. 
on screen. <laughs> like everything he, every moment he's on screen is perfection. And and it's just like it's funny every time. Like I've seen it four times. And that character is like so fucking funny. Um, but did you guys feel that way? Like were were you? Um, did you appreciate the humor, or did you think it wasn't humor? Or I'm just kind of interested in your take on it. I didn't think it was that funny. Like, I know, <laughs> I know that. So here's, I'll just go into the, my entire feelings on the movie. So, the beginning of the movie I did appreciate. It's like 45 minutes or an hour of really slow, kind of character building, and it almost is building the relationship more than the characters. Like. Mm-hmm. you really can imagine yourself kind of in this isolated house with, with these two characters. And there is emotional investment there, but then as soon as it turns and becomes the revenge movie, the emotion kind of goes away. Like Nicolas Cage, as you said, he doesn't talk anymore. There aren't like, there aren't really significant scenes to tie to who Mandy was or what their relationship meant or who mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage is. As Ashvin said, we really don't know that much about uh, Red, Nick's, Nick Cage's character, in, in my opinion. So, and then the second half, it just goes bonkers. Like, there's the machete boners. He, like, lights a cigarette <laughs> off a dude's flaming skull. He crushes a guy's head in his hands. I'm like, yeah. I'm all about that, like, over-the-top bonkers violence and, like, splatter-type stuff. But it was just, like, such... It was two different movies to me, and and it was two hours long, so the fact that I, like, sat through all the build-up at the beginning for 45 minutes to an hour, only to have it just become this bonkers revenge movie, it just didn't... Something about it didn't <laughs> jive with me. Oh, but yeah, that's, So I didn't, like... I, I wasn't as ready to laugh at some of that stuff, like a machete boner or a lit cigarette off a flaming skull, <laughs> like... Uh, it kind of reminds me the second half of the movie kind of reminds me of like Evil Dead or Dead Alive or um, uh, what's that one Australian one we watched or maybe it's a New Zealand one Ash Deathgasm like I Uh, love that over the top gore and violence but it was just so out of place with the first half of the movie that I was having trouble getting into it that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, like the all, all the like bonkers and ridiculousness that I think Joseph's talking about, that is like so weighted on the second uh, part. And you're, you're right, like that first half is just so heavy and different that it's kind of uh, I don't know, it's kind of jarring when it happens and you're not expecting it, which maybe enhances it. But yeah, it's not really consistent, I guess. And I've read reviews that kind of echo what Joseph has said, like. In a lot of revenge movies, you don't really care, but this one takes the time to get you invested up front. And I do think it does that, but then it seems to kind of forget all of that work that it put in doing that and just goes straight into the bonkers, violence, revenge type thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, especially watching it multiple times, um, there's a lot of sequences that involve Mandy that are just pure feeling. Like there's a sequence early in the movie where she's kind of wandering through the woods um, and finds like a dead baby deer and just is like appreciating it and crying. Um, and then there's a shot of them like together on a canoe that zooms out and there's this beautifully shot like blue water that they're just on. Um, and then I think it's revealed to be a dream. Like Nick Cage wakes up and he just says like, oh, I was having a bad dream. Um, and it, it's almost like a vision that he was having that included Mandy. And then as soon as she's 
killed, which is like this really haunting moment where um, you're not sure if it's her because it's like a bag that's burned, but then he crawls up to it when, after he escapes and you see her and she just kind of like turns to dust, you know, she just turns to ash. Um, and everything after that, um, prior to the very end of the movie, is, is this like heavy metal style, like cartoon visions that he, he has of Mandy. And they're really interesting. Like one is of her standing nude over like a, a killed beast and like pulls out its green heart and like holds it up and it like drips this like purple blood all over her. Um, and there's another one where she's kind of nude and it zooms in and she has like red eyes. And I think all of these have some kind of meaning, but I don't really know what a lot of it is other than um, it kind of goes back to that thing I was talking about where she's more of this like eternal being. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and Jeremiah is this kind of like in the moment, all of his, his whole religion is kind of burned away. So it's almost like Mandy lives on through her art. You know, there's like these like images that Red has of her. Um, but, and that's all he has now that she's dead. She's gone, you know, but he still has like these, these uh, images and, and this art. And then at the end of the movie, he's like driving a car and she's kind of like in the car with him. And I think there's a lot that could be um, applied to that and a lot that can be read into it. Um, and the last shot, it kind of pans up and you see two planets in the sky, uh, kind of like what they were talking about um, earlier in the film. Um, so I, I don't know, like thematically, it, it really does work for me. I really like the dialogue. Um, I really like um, the feeling that I get from, from the movie and, and just kind of what it stirs up in me. Um, but I don't disagree that it does feel very much like two movies. Um, but I guess I just like both of those movies and I do think that they, they work together. Um, because if it stayed on the trajectory it was on, it would be long and kind of boring, but it just kind of like halfway through just hits the gas and then just like crashes and explodes brilliantly. And I think it's incredible. Yeah, I hear you. I, I like both of those movies, but together they don't like, it could have been even better if they had jived better more, but they totally didn't for me. Um, yeah. I, I kind of feel... Uh, Oh, yeah, oh sorry. I, go ahead, Ash. I, I, I kind of hear like both both of your arguments. Yeah, like I mean, uh, it it is just so hard because that first half is so different than the second half, and I can't tell if that makes the second half that much better, or yeah, Brian, to your point, if it's just kind of uh, you know more disorienting and loses all the value or uh, sentiment that was built up in the beginning. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of on the fence on that one. Um, on that note, zero to five machete boners. What do you guys give this movie? <laughs> I'll, I'll start with Joseph. Uh, it's a five out of five, man. It's uh, <laughs> it, for me. I mean, it, it honestly like a schlocky Nick Cage movie can't get much better than this, and it's just kind of my favorite type of movie. Um, it doesn't take itself too seriously, although it does have very serious elements and themes. Um, it made me laugh more than most comedy movies make me laugh, um, so I really appreciate that. Um, it had some beautiful images and is beautifully shot the music is incredible and so yeah absolutely highest rating possible for me wow nice <laughs> moving on to Ash. <laughs> uh i you know i i want to give the visuals the sound uh all, all of that like the production i want to give all that like a, f a four and a half or a five but um i, I think the storyline and and uh just the, the lack of um some of the character building 
uh, I, th- I think comes, you know, get maybe like a two and a half. So I, I'd net out at like a, a three and a half, I think, for this one. Three and a half machete boners. All right, that's a little <laughs> higher than I thought you'd go. And that leaves me the lowest. I, I give it three machete boners. <laughs> that's still pretty good. Yeah, pretty yeah. I mean, I like the, the I like the movie. It's just like it had been so hyped up. I was ready to be blown away. I know. Yeah, I yeah. guess. See, I that might be the difference. Is I went into it completely blind. I knew nothing other than it. Nick Nick Cage was in it, and it took me for a ride. And I mean, also, I think seeing it in a theater um, was probably a different experience than watching it at home. Um, and also being a little stoned while watching it, um, I think it just hit all the right notes for me. Uh, but uh, yeah, I get, I get where you guys are coming from. I wish you loved it more because I really, really love it. Um, but I'm glad you've seen it, Ashra. I'm glad you've seen it two times. Brian, I'd recommend you see it again at some point. <laughs> at least yeah, I do. Want to, I will see it again at some point. And I do wish that I had like just stumbled into a theater with a friend yeah. or a group of people <laughs> and saw it, not knowing anything. I do think that would have been uh, affected my my experience. Yeah, and that's the other thing is I saw it uh, with Amy. Like, we got a babysitter. We went to go see it. We're like, we're seeing this fucking movie. Um, and then we also invited um, this kind of, like, vanilla couple that we know. And uh, after the movie, like, my friend Chris, like, he, he really liked it. Like, he was like, oh, that was awesome. It was so good. And then I asked his girlfriend, like, um, like what do you think? Like, did you like it? And she was like, yeah, yeah. You know, like very high pitch. Like obviously uh, it was a no, but she was like trying to, you know, be <laughs> nice about finish. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which made it even that much more better for me. Like that <laughs> just pushed it over the edge. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, anything else on this movie before we start to wrap up? Joseph, anything you'd like to add? Plug? Ooh, um, yeah, Confess. I would say probably I, I would like you guys to watch um, Vampire's Kiss, which is another Nick Cage movie. I'll plug that one. Um, also, Bad Lieutenant, Port uh, Port of Call. Oh, shit, what's it called? Have you seen that one? The Nick Cage movie with, that's called I've, Bad Lieutenant? I've heard of that. I've, I've heard a lot of people recommend watching that. <laughs> Just love it or hate it for the experience of seeing it. Yeah, that one is, is a fucking hoot. Um... Really, any Nick Cage movie, even the bad ones, you know, I would say. I would plug every, every one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> have, you, have, you guys seen, have you guys seen Mom and Dad? Mom and Dad? Yeah, it was a Nick Cage movie that came out like a year or two ago. Kind of like a horror one, actually, where all the parents try to kill their kids. Um, oh, I've heard of that. No, I haven't seen it. I actually oh, yeah. maybe shouldn't plug every Nick Cage movie because I haven't seen them. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of movies. He's, oh, as God. we said, he's working quite a bit. Uh, okay, well, I think that wraps up the episode then. Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. Joseph, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, anytime. Um, yeah. And if you guys want to let us know what you thought about this movie, uh, you can contact us on Facebook or Twitter. You can just go to horrormovieclub.com and links to our Facebook and Twitter accounts are there. Uh, our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart, Joseph's lovely wife, so check her out. Oh, and I want to do a quick shout out to our listener, Chris, uh, who's been asking when we're going to cover Mandy. Um, I told him it's been coming down the road for quite a while now. And also, uh, Chris has a book out called The Mother's Eye, 
by Chris Berkey, B-E-R-K-E. And if you like creepy or weird fiction, check that out. It's available on Amazon. It's a book of short stories, and it's a really fun read. Chris, if you're listening, these guys are noobs. This movie's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Chris really likes this movie, so I think he'll probably probably be glad that you were on here, Joseph, too. Five out of five machete boners. (laughs) (laughs) I think he also would give five machete boners. Uh, Cool. Well, that's it. And until next time, if you are watching pornography and get a boner that turns out to be a machete, uh, maybe just drink some more of your mason jar of gray LSD. (laughs) Nice.